Feels good to be in the back in the car again. Back in the <laughs> yeah, I was it's gonna say driver's seat, but there's two of us. It has been uh, three weeks, which is yeah. So for for those of you wondering where we went for the past week, um, I I started uh, a new full time employment. I was unemployed producing this podcast uh, full time. Everybody, stop what you're doing and clap for Mark for right a- now. <laughs> Don't clap for capitalism. That's the one rule of the podcast. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the amount of time that I actually have to to be able to put into the podcast has has been a little bit reduced. So we there there might be some some changes to the podcast. For example, for tonight's episode, I haven't prepared a script. I kind of just have a list of talking points that we're going to go through instead. Um. And so, so the podcast might be a little bit more conversational, a little bit uh, kind of more free-flowing, but hopefully all of that same good theory goodness will be there. And um, if, you know, if this isn't really what you guys are into, uh, we'd love to hear feedback on like kind of this new kind of episode on either our Twitter or our subreddit. And if you really, really want... Um, that like old style, more scripted content. Uh, if you really, really preferred that, if that's what you liked out of this podcast, then uh, I don't know. We might consider uh, trying to do that instead. Uh, but that just might mean that episodes take a little bit longer to come out than they used to. Uh, so that's just kind of going to be the trade off there. Are are we old enough to have classics yet? Classic <laughs> format. Actually, you know. Um, we are, we're, com- we're coming up on a year. We are coming up on exactly one year since our first episode was released. I'm actually going to pull up our stats real quick. Let me find that. December exactly. 19th. I think it was December 6th, actually. So oh my our, one, our first podiversary will be between now and the release of our next episode. So I think we're going to celebrate that anniversary on the next episode. We should do something special. We should do something special. Cool. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Are we going to talk about the election at all? The election at all? We haven't done an episode since the election. Holy shit. Yeah. Has it really only been three weeks since the election? Yep. Well, less technically since like the what? it was decided. What? I think it was deci- like released on the 8th. Wait, let me check my little calendar <sighs> widget here. Nope, it was the it would have been the fourteenth. Well it was it was our last our last recording was after the third, but it was like it, it was like it was on it would have been on Thursday. We always used to record on Thursdays. Yeah. It was a Thursday, so So it, it would have been like the, the sixth. sixth. Tuesday was the third, so fourth. Fifth. I don't know. Was it the seventh that it was released? The, yeah, it would have been released on the seventh. No, it was released on the 6th. I know our last was the 6th. So no, yes, the, it would have been released on the 6th. Yes, Okay, you're correct. Yeah, so it was the 7th. So it's been uh, almost three weeks. Wow. It really feels like it's been so much longer than that. Yeah. It's Okay, can I, can I, can I share a quick anecdote? Yeah. So where were you when you found out that Joe Biden won? You know, I actually don't really remember because I, I remember being really, really confident for a while and like kind of deciding myself that he had won like even like a couple days prior to that. Like I, I feel but we recorded on Thursday and I feel like 
by then I felt pretty sure that he was going to take it. Like I remember, I remember on, I think it was Wednesday night, which was the first day that it kind of started to look up for, for diamond Joe Biden. And I remember we still had, um, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada up in the air. And I was talking to my, my parents and they were pretty nervous. And I said, I think Biden's going to take all four of those States. And that's actually, and that's what ended up happening. Um, at that point, that all Modern seemed pretty day. obvious, though. If you did a little bit of, if you just did a little bit of the math at that point, it was pretty obvious that he was going to take all four, even on Wednesday night. Yeah, but you know what they should have done is um, stop counting when Trump was ahead, because there's no reason to count more votes after that. You know these the, these jokes are three weeks old, but they're a year outdated by now. <laughs> <laughs> that that's fine. I'm still going to make them. You really broke my fucking brain telling me it's been three weeks. I'm like, f- I'm absolutely floored at that. I'm I'm so sorry. It, it does it does feel like a long ass time. Three weeks is a long time in quarantine. It doesn't feel like it's been a fucking year, almost a year since we've been in this. It's been like nine months. I my entire twenty third year is just <clears throat> kaput. I'm not sure if I told you this, but I I just I just wanted to lead into this anecdote. We went way, way off track, but as soon as I left IKEA. Um, Cause I was just getting some dressers and shit. Yeah. I drive past a park and there's a group of white people doing the high hopes dance. <laughs> and I, I, sh- I, I'm not shitting you. And my girlfriend's like, I was like, Oh God. Oh God. And my girlfriend is like, Oh, that's just, I think that's just a Zumba class, baby. And I'm like, you don't understand. If there's one thing I like can recognize in an instant, it's the high hopes dance. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, I can't do it. But like, so, oh God. and I was like, I was like, any, any like minor relation I had about the election, about him, Trump getting what he deserved, was just squashed by, by I don't know, Brooklyn, Brooklyning. Dude, yeah, I do, I do actually remember. I remember leading up to the election, I was just super, I was really, really nervous that Trump was going to take it, and and that fear kind of hypnotized me into really, really pulling for Biden because that's was the only realistic alternative and i was kind of worried as the election rolled around that 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 should biden win i was going to have a hard time kind of detaching myself from that state of mind and getting back into the place i needed to like you know go on this podcast and and advocate for uh actual leftism instead of like just like pure entryism and and, and that kind of stuff and that really, uh, I, I don't know why I was so fucking nervous because it did not take more than like 12 hours for these fucking Democrats to piss me the fuck off right back to where I was in like March. Dude, I, 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 I was like happy as soon as I found out. And then I like had like a horrible, like, like stomach sinking feelings like, oh God, am I a liberal now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then and then you hear the uh, the Abby Spanberger call, and you're just like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. I know who my enemies are. I know who my enemies are. <laughs> okay, yeah. and my enemies are currently for the next hour and a half are libertarians.
Welcome to We Read Theory, the podcast where we read theory so you don't have to. And I might have to normalize that in post because I got really close to my microphone. I was very excited to be back. <laughs> my name is Mark. My name has been and always will be Alex. So uh, based on the title of the episode, you, you, you all already know it. We are talking about one of the libertarian big boys, Mr. Murray Rothbard, the second Murray we've talked about on this show. I don't know what's up with that. And I feel like a lot of the time leftists talk about libertarians. It's kind of an unproductive dunk session. Like, like it's not a bad thing. It's not counterproductive or anything like that. But we're doing it. We're just doing it for fun. Libertarians are kind of an easy target. They're they're so obviously silly to people who are kind of like outside the ideology. And so I don't want to like explain that libertarianism is like wrong or incoherent or or explain why that's the case so much as I want to use the reasons why it's wrong to demonstrate some more important and more universally applicable ideas uh, for us as we go forward with our political advocacy and our political action. The work is The Betrayal of the American Right, and The Betrayal of the American Right by Murray Rothbard is, it's, it's, it's a work of history, but there's also, there's, there's a lot of theory in it, and really uh, the central premise of the book is the idea that there was this older version stop me if you've heard this before there used to be this older version of the american right wing and 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 while you know you know today the right wingers these conservatives they're crazy they're they're war hawks and 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 they want to use the government to create monopolies and 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 it's crazy and you know it didn't used to be this way you know conservatives used to have some integrity and they used to be they used to be isolationists they didn't used to want to go out and, and, and conquer everything. So this period was, um, it was in kind of the 1930s where the old right, according to Murray Rothbard, gets its start. And this is the right that's defined by free market economics, non-intervention abroad. So libertarianism, basically, what we, what we think of libertarians thinking of themselves. And while conservatives were more socially conservative and wanted to kind of police people socially more libertarians at least see themselves as not wanting to police people's personal lives as much um so there's that difference there but that created a a space for quote-unquote right libertarians who had previously kind of sided with the left um because they were both anti-world war one to now siding with the right who was anti-new deal and then was also later anti-entering World War II, where the left was more in favor of entering World War II and kind of fighting against rising fascism. And so already we kind of run into one of the big things I wanted to talk about, which is that there's, there's something that we should always keep in mind when we're analyzing politics. And that's that if we find ourselves continuously confused by the things that are happening if it seems like people are acting without consistent purpose and and, and that their actions are kind of inexplicable you're probably using a political framework to judge the world that isn't that is getting something wrong right it's your your political ideals are overfitted 
to the reality you've been living in. Yeah, you're not accurately seeing how things are. And and so and so and so point number 1 of we're going to say three main points is material analysis, material analysis, material analysis. Holy shit, libertarians have no material analysis. And let me talk about what I mean uh when it comes to the anti-war stuff. Rothbard is like super confused. Um then maybe that maybe that's an unfair characterization, but he definitely treats the 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 fact that the left was anti World War One and then the right was anti World War Two, and he kind of treats this as sort of an inexplicable switch, and it's like this is kind of how libertarian this is kind of a trap that libertarians get into a lot where like where like they think that the only positions are pro war and anti war and anyone who's like pro war is always pro war and anyone who's anti war is always anti war and it's like some people actually like give a shit what the war is about or who they're fighting or like other kinds of details like that but murray rothbard's worldview doesn't even have space for those kinds of opinions like not wanting to go into world war one and then wanting to go into world war two to fight the nazis is inherently like hypocritical to him and and if that's the case then everyone is just acting like totally without explanation and that should be a sign to him that his worldview it doesn't make sense. He's not drawing political distinctions and political lines in the ways where he should if he wants to get an accurate view of how people think and what and what they're doing, you know? Yeah, like everything has to be black and white. Everything has to be explained by facts and logic. But it's, it just doesn't doesn't work like that. There's gray areas to, you know, everyone's individual views as well as um, larger uh, political philosophies. Yeah. There's, there's some nuances. And then, of course, when we get into uh, him talking about the pro-war and anti-war kind of movements in America, uh, when it comes to World War II, uh, we, we, get, we get some, some more uh, really uh, familiar talking points. So he, he describes the kind of pro-war faction as being an unlikely alliance of communists, plutocrats, the media, and urban bankers. What is an urban banker? I don't know. What is an urban banker? It's something something's going off in my head when someone says urban anything it just makes me think it sounds like jew to me oh oh i mean i mean i mean i mean he's taking the banker part he says communists plutocrats the media and urban bankers oh anything following the media is probably gonna be relating to jews yeah that's so fucking jq and that's literally Okay, he actually follows the Nazi line on a lot of shit when it comes to like his anti-interventionism in World War II. It's actually fucking wild. So so we have we have that. That idea that like communists and then like the hyper-rich under capitalism and the media and the bankers, which are also I don't know why they're not included in plutocrats, but that's also like how the Nazis saw the world. Like, that is literally they thought that the hyper-capitalist West and then and then the the, the communist soviet union or socialist soviet union um were like both under like the control of this jewish cabal and it's kind of like what we see with people like ben shapiro today other people who call themselves libertarians where the 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 jewish question is all in there but they just don't say the j word they say globalist he doesn't even say globalist but he it's it, it really seems like it's there and i think there's a bit more i think there's a bit more to it as well like for example he talks a lot about how um, 
people who were just anti-war and didn't like interventionism were smeared in the media and and were and were like called nazis or like fascists or whatever and then get who his fucking big example is of someone who didn't who was an um, who, who was an, who was anti-intervention and who was smeared unfairly for this as a nazi who charles Lindbergh. why would he pick charles Lindbergh of all people weren't there like better examples of people who were i don't know had n- at least nor- socially normal political views the, yeah, the the point is the point is that, that that Charles Lindbergh is like a is like a well known, well established Nazi sympathizer, um, with ties to groups like the German American Bund, and and the America First Party. The America First Party uh, is described by Rothbard completely as like just just a non interventionist party, nothing to do with like being like fascists or anything like that. But like that's what we understand in the United States is that like anti interventionism about World War Two was very much tied to being politically sympathetic to the nazis and i have a great i have a great quote you're gonna love had there been no like anti-intervention movements before that where someone's like oh these people are anti all of a sudden anti-intervention they must be nazis well they well i mean that was the case though um at least according i mean i mean if you take rothbard's word for it then then the right wing the conservatives were extremely pro or, or at least more so pro-war when it came to the first world war and and it was the left who was more anti getting into that war and that's consistent with my understanding of it but there was something of a flip there with world war ii and of course we understand that the nature of the war was very different mm-hmm. um although you know we can talk about whether or not america's actual goal in entering the war was to fight fascism or was to advance its own imperial interests but regardless there were a lot of of leftists who were genuinely worried about the um encroachment of fascism around the world and and wanted to get involved for that reason so regardless of what the american government was interested in right so they i guess temporarily did the line but i have an absolute banger of a quote uh, you're going to love this. I'm ready. Lay it on me, bud. Quote, Influential Jews and Jewish organizations helped agitate for war and helped also to put economic pressure upon opponents of the war. This very fact, of course, served to embitter many isolationists against the Jews and again create a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. This resentment was intensified by the hysterical treatment accorded to any isolationist who dared to so much as mention these activities by Jews. In early 1942, the Saturday Evening Post printed an article critical of Jews by the liberal pacifist Quaker Milt Meyer, an act that was used by the establishment to fire the conservative and isolationist editor Wesley N. Stout and his entire editorial staff and replace them with conservative interventionists, unquote. Why has he got a, why has he just got to pin it on? Why? Why? Yeah, I mean... I don't even know where I'm going with this. Now now I'm kind of unproductively shitting on him. But yeah, like like libertarianism suffers centrally from a lack of material analysis. Yeah, that 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 that's kind of point number one I wanted to make was was just God. God, material analysis is so fucking important. And I want to explain I want to go a little bit deeper into that with point two, which is kind of about the fact that libertarianism is an incoherent ideology, but 
more than that, what it actually means for an ideology to be incoherent. Because I feel like we talk about ideologies being incoherent a lot. And, you know, we generally understand that that means that there are internal contradictions there. But I thought maybe we could be a little bit more specific about what these contradictions tend to look like. And I think libertarianism is probably the single best case study of an ideology that is hopelessly, completely incoherent. I have a I have a hot take coming. I have a hot take coming because it's no nuance November, but but I want I need to I need to lay the groundwork for it. Alright, hit me. I would argue, I would argue that for the most part, an incoherent ideology. So I, I would argue that an ideology has two major parts. You have the way you want the world to be, which for most people you could just say policy, but, you know, obviously if you're an anarchist, you're not really interested in policy. You're kind of interested in general social bonds and like stuff like that. Um, I, I just don't know if policy is really the word you would use. Uh, Probably just vibes, like general vibes. Yeah, vibes. You got vibes and then that's downstream of the way you want power to be distributed in the society. So... Anarchists want all people to be provided for uh, and, 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 and kind of be given equal consideration. And to that end, upstream of that, they say, we want power divided as evenly and as, as like totally dispersed as possible so that it becomes basically, the idea of power becomes basically non-existent. Um, whereas with a libertarian, take Rothbard, for example. His, his main principles that he really, really wants is he wants, you know, he's a freer the markets, freer the people kind of guy. He doesn't like intervention. And to his, you know, you know which, is, which is cool. And, and, and actually, reading throughout his book, I actually do kind of think Murray Rothbard is, is, is a really true believer. You know, a lot of people who describe themselves as libertarians are people like Ben Shapiro, who I don't think even believes in libertarianism in any meaningful way. Whereas, like, I think that Murray Rothbard actually believes in libertarianism as an ideology. And the big difference between Ben Shapiro and Rothbard is that Ben Shapiro is a liar and Rothbard is completely, hopelessly incoherent. Um, and so what I mean by that is he, he, he believes that, yeah, the free of the market, free of the people, anti-intervention, anti-intervening in people's uh, kind of social lives as well, you know, in their sexuality, stuff like that. He doesn't talk much about gender, though, and, you know, he does kind of seem to give anti-Semites and Nazis in general a pass, but you want you want as much freedom for the individual, they say, as possible. Okay, that's that's policy, or that's that's the way you want the world to be. That's the downstream part. But what's the upstream part if you are a libertarian? You know, the upstream part is that you think that private business relations based on private property uh, should be the main way that we conduct the society, the main, that we, the main way that we distribute power throughout the society. It should, be, it should be basically a function of property and your ability to accumulate property, ideally, supposedly, without the use of any kind of coercive force or violence. Yeah, and where you put your money communicates mm -hmm. your desires as, as like a society. Exactly. If you're paying for something, you must like it. I want to demonstrate, I'm going to demonstrate in one quote, in one quote, 
why this is a completely incoherent ideology. And what I mean by that is that the river that is going to be cut by that distribution of power isn't going to flow in any situation to the place where he wants it, where you have free markets, free individual liberties, and non-intervention. And so this quote is is from uh, a guy named Chodorov, who is quoted at least once in The Betrayal of the American Right. Um, and th- this is a quote from inside the book that he's just quoting someone else in it. And it's about the fake libertarian principles of conservatives. So, quote, The cause of private property has been championed by men who had no interest in it. Their main concern has always been with the institution of privilege, which has grown up alongside private property. They start by defining private property as anything that can be got by law. Hence, they put their cunning to the control of the lawmaking machinery, so that the emerging laws enable them to profit at the expense of producers. They talk about the benefits of competition and work towards monopolistic practices. They extol individual initiative and support legal limitations on individuals who might challenge their ascendancy. In short, they are for the state, the enemy of private property, because they profit by its schemes. Their only objection to the state is its inclination to invade their privileged position or to extend privileges to other groups. He's always a libertarian who got mad about an oligarchy. Exactly. Exactly. This drove me (laughs) fucking nuts. And he does this. He goes back and forth, back and forth. At one point, he's (laughs) quoting someone who's talking about how the state only exists to is only is only there to fuck up like the natural hierarchy between superior and inferior and how and how and how all the state does is that is that is that they give they give the rogues and the and the lazy and the layabouts the layabouts uh, a little extra cash here and there and then at the same time it's like oh and like the state really like preserves privilege and and creates monopolies you know monopolies don't exist without the state and it's like and it's like you need to fucking pick one. Does the state redistribute wealth up or down? And and it's I, like yeah, it's like once again, like the fact that this is that this makes no sense should key you into the fact that the way you view politics has a fundamental flaw. Oh, that's, oh god. That's, this this ha- yeah, and he goes back and forth on this so much it's it's like whiplash. And it's it's really frustrating though because he doesn't seem to understand that the thing he wants, which is that you get the, and he's he's an anarcho capitalist, so he wants the state basically completely gone, and and like not interfering in the business world at all. And if that's the case, then the people who who her who Chodorov is talking about in this quote are going to be the people who are given power in the society. So if you understand practically where distributing power that way goes and that it's not to the world that you want to create, I don't understand how he how he rationalizes that. You can either give the pores a little extra cash or, you know, live in the United States of Coca-Cola. You, you, you got you got to pick one, bud. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm, I was planning the next thing I was going to say, and I only realized what you were saying uh, <laughs> as you as 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 the as the word Coca Cola rolled off your tongue. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, that's that's pretty terrible. I feel like if I can interject for like one second here, Please. I feel like a lot of um, libertarians, at least uh, that I knew, 
um, that, that I described in past episodes will um, be disillusioned with both the establishment left and the establishment right and think, hmm, there's got to be another party, okay? I, I'm still shilling for elect- electoralism. I need to be able to participate like this. Um, I need uh, another fringe political group. So they they latch on to the anti-corporatism, anti-war, uh, pro-gun, pro-drug legalization, um, and just not interfering people's personal lives, which all sound like pretty great things, you know? And, yeah. And like... The, the most annoying thing to me is when so I'm like I'm like okay yeah what do you believe like politically and someone's like I wanna I want my gay neighbors to be able to protect their weed plants with yeah their 15s <laughs> oh god I am so but it's like, fucking tired of hearing it yeah and it's like but it, but it's that lack of material analysis again the part where you go okay like what are the political physics at play here if we give this group of people power. What are they going to do with it? What are their material interests? And this is basically what Marxism did for political philosophy was it told people like, hey, maybe check, maybe check if the things you're coming up with are right, you know, because we hadn't done that before. Like we had Hobbes before who literally just like sat in a room and was like, you know, before we had absolute monarchs, everyone used to just stab each other all the time. And it's like, it's not like he checked. He didn't know. He guessed. And then he was wrong. Like, whatever the archaeological evidence that we've uncovered seems to suggest that people cooperated with each other a lot throughout our entire existence. That's the whole reason why we're so successful as a species. And yet we still continue to follow what this guy had to say about, like, how government should be based on that view of human nature, which was wrong. Not even in, like, kind of a subjective way. Yeah, the, hu- the human nature argument really fucking sucks. It can't be just refuted by, like, like, like any, any cooperative political philosophy can't be refuted by the fact that you say humans are naturally greedy. It's, it's not gonna work. There's plenty of examples for and to the contrary. There is no, like, yeah. one human condition that, that says humans are gonna, you know pillage everything in their path in the pursuit of incredible power okay there's plenty of people who are or aren't like that you can't base like you can't reject an entire philosophy based on that that's not not how it works yeah and and really the way the way it seems to be is that is that of course human the, the the way a human is likely to act is based on the conditions you put them in materially uh which is of course once again what marxism is all about and what marxism gave to political theory and why he's cons- and why it has that moniker of scientific socialism because that materialism there's the science is that like the um the idea of uh gosh i don't know if there's a name for it but like the like the phrase like hard times create strong men strong men oh my times, god yeah. times create weak men it's a meme it's 100 Com- percent a meme yeah it's completely it's like history is written by the victor like yeah no, not not always. Sometimes it isn't. You know, you want to know who won a lot? The Mongols. But they didn't, you know, most of the history was written about them by other people. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the Nazis were big fucking losers, and they got to write a lot of their own history. Yeah. So I, I have I have a hot take for, for No Nuance November. Oh, this is the one you're talking about. Okay. This, is, this is my No Nuance November hot take. Lay it on me. There are exactly 
two coherent ideologies. One of them is socialism, in my opinion. I think that I think that there is a I think that there is a sensible connection between the way that socialists want to distribute power among the workers and the people who they want the society to be run for the benefit of also the workers. Hey, that makes a whole lot of sense, right? You give people who you want the society to be run for the purpose of the power in the society. That makes a lot of sense. The other coherent ideology is conservatism. Conservatism is Machiavellian. It's based in materialism. You know, not conservative rhetoric, but the way actual conservative politicians think and act. And it is, it is the, of course, it's the exact, it's the exact mirror. You, you have the, the bourgeoisie, which is a word that's a bit esoteric for a lot of people. So I don't usually like to word that. I usually like to say business owners or business owning class. And those are the people you want to give power. And those are the people for whom, for the benefit of whom you want the society to run for. But pretty much every other ide- ideology, I think, breaks down in this connection. Of course, the libertarian ideology breaks down in this connection. You're giving the business, you want the society to be run for the sake of everyone. You know, you, you're, you're a firm believer in class collaboration, but you are only giving one class the actual power in society. So it's not going to work the way you want. Liberalism is, I think, more coherent, but it still has this breakdown. Uh, because like you have this idea that the state and private property are going to kind of check and balance each other. But of course, the tendency is for it, it's kind of for a building of a cartel between the state and private property interests. Um, and so you end up with a lot of the same outcomes, although probably a more tempered version of like what the libertarians want. But ultimately, you have that same breakdown, which is that you are giving the working class either no or not nearly enough political power in the system and expecting it to work more for them than that power structure is likely to actually do. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a, a whole people might poke in the, the argument that socialism is a completely coherent ideology is that you can't um, create essentially centrally planned economy that we've explained in past episodes where that's totally and completely possible people just won't do it or they do do it but it's only for a select few number of people yeah i mean you you within that like overarching moniker of socialism i think that there are multiple coherent approaches i think that there's a coherency to central planning depending on what the state structure surrounding it is and i think that there is also a coherency to uh more democratic co-op based versions of socialism and uh kind of like your anarchist systems as well i think i think that there's a i think that there's a general coherency to all of them which is that the distribution of power is tied directly to the outcomes that they want to produce whereas you know, so I think, and I think that that's really what coherency is all about when it comes to ideology. Okay, so there's no like invisible hand guiding everything, like in libertarianism or liberalism. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no. Ah, trust me, bro. <laughs> It'll work out. <laughs> I want to have a little bit of a philosophical conversation with you about the last mm. point. I want to ask you 
I'm going to ask you to define a couple of terms, exactly two. So the first one is freedom. What does it mean to be free? What's the distinction between freedom and unfreedom? I mean, I feel like we could have a whole episode about this. You're forced let's have a sh- put. It- let's have a short conversation. Okay, okay. Give, give, give me a give me a parameter. Give me like like th- in in like three sentences or like five sentences or six words or some shit. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean for an individual to be free? Or what is the distinction between an individual being free or being not free? To, I guess. The first thing that came to mind to me was that everyone is literally born on equal footing. There's no generational generational <laughs> wealth. And for any um, disability created by society to be supported, I guess, that, that, yeah. that, and that, that's involved in everyone being born on equal footing. You know, if, if you are born with a horrible like genetic disease or something you will be supported so you'll be on equal footing with everyone who's you know born healthy yeah and that's why i feel like if you're true libertarian you probably believe in at least um democratic socialism if not full-blown socialism you just don't realize it yet a free society also holds i guess every every position that's that's um necessary to society in the same regard can you give me an example yeah, everyone, everyone, like one, of, like the main, one of the things that people say um, when when like communism is brought up is that no one's going to be doctors because it takes so long and it's so much effort and it's so much so much money to pay for school that everyone's just going to be lazy and and sit on sit on their asses instead or like do something like gender studies, underwater basket weaving. Oh my god, I'm so that's another thing. I'm so sick of hearing that, but. I guess the ability of a free society would hold that would hold a gender studies degree in equal regard because then they could do things like replace cops for uh for for familiar issues or something like that and do a hell of a lot more. What I'm hearing is that like the concept of equality is really central to freedom the way that you think about it. Yeah. I I I totally agree. As I was thinking about this episode, I I got to thinking about I just I noticed that I really didn't vibe with the way that Rothbard talks about freedom because we talk about freedom being like having a choice whether you do a thing or not and being not free that you are coerced. And a lot of people kind of draw the line of coercion at like the literal gun to the head. Yeah. And then, of course, as leftists, we we often make the argument that if someone's survival depends on doing something then they are not then they can't be free even if the gun is not literally to their head it might as well be mm-hmm. and then of course uh, a lot of generally more right-wing people will often counter to that that you always have to do something if you want to survive even humans that live entirely outside of a society you know have to climb the tree for the fruit or hunt animals for like fruit you know you know you got to you you have to do some stuff Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like just being, f- just the fact that you're forced to do something is a bad definition of being not free because then there is no such thing as freedom whatsoever, right? Everything is coercive because everything ultimately comes back down to 
your survival, or at least a lot of things. So you're saying socialists have a bad definition of freedom? Um, I think that I think that the idea that freedom is based on whether or not there is there is a need to do something for your survival. Um, I, I don't know that that should. I don't know that that's a very useful definition of freedom versus unfreedom. What I think is what I think we need to add on top of that to to make it work is whether or not your survival comes down to the decision making of another person specifically so the fact that there is something in nature that you have to kind of fight against in order to survive um that doesn't make you not free the person living in the wild in 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 the, in like that state of nature to use the lock to use the lock terminology um no matter how hard their life gets i don't know that i would ever consider that person to be not free Whereas your life can be relatively easy living in like the United States, but because your survival is ultimately gatekept behind the decision making of other people, I would consider that person to be less free than the person living in the state of nature. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that was very well put. And and then of course I think the libertarian definition of freedom that comes through in 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 this book is that is that it's just the state. The state is the only entity that can infringe on your freedom. Um, you know, that that's that's pretty much because because uh Rothbard doesn't really see the idea of like your survival depending on appeasing a business owner who you need to like, you know, by giving them money for stuff or uh giving your labor to them for money. Um that's like that gets to be part of the same kind of limitations on your agency as 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 the things you might come across in the state of nature whereas the state alone is the is the kind of institution the kind of entity that can actually infringe on your freedom which i find really um dumb shit yeah ask any any libertarian to define like 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 they they say they hate the government but like what about Mm -hmm. the government that they hate and you can find like every single parallel with just like your run-of-the-mill corporation and you're like why do you think this why why do you choose violence <laughs> so that that that's one ha- that's one half of the point that i want to make the other half i want to talk about property what is what does it mean for something to be someone's property what is the defining feature of your property as opposed to things that are not your property either held in common or someone else's personal property i face consequences for taking something that's not my property whether by the state or by the owners of the property themselves. okay so is there can there be property without the state yeah absolutely i don't think so really in an anarchist state people wouldn't i wouldn't face consequence for taking some guy's car i said face consequences well okay in that case then if i'm willing to like stab you for your xbox is that my xbox I mean, you can try to stab me. Me, me trying, me fighting you back is the consequence. But if I stab you, wouldn't that be a consequence on you for trying to fight me? Okay, so everything. Okay, you're right, Mark. Everything is everybody's (laughs) property because everyone has consequences. You know, to to someone touching. Well, yeah. I mean, that's well. That's why I say that that you can't have property outside the context of the state, right? Because because what makes it your property is that the state will stop other people from using it not that you will stop other people from using it 
Okay, so with a state, me and the state would both have a problem, but without a state, it would be just me, and therefore it's not property. Yeah, that's what I would say. I I, th- I think if there was no state, I still would like deck someone for using my toothbrush. Well, okay, but is that property? That what? What? Okay, what? What else would you describe it as if not property? Um, I would just say that. Okay, so like, if the state is the institution with a monopoly on acceptable violence, right? Then, mm-hmm. in the absence of a state, that means that any person has just as much of a right and ability to use violence on any other person as that person has to use on them, right? We got a state. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so that means that who gets you know your toothbrush uh, is 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 it comes down to who is willing who who is able to use violence better you know we're we're all going to be stabbing each other over our toothbrushes but who's willing to use violence better Mm -hmm. um like in that particular moment and so and so like i I don't know that i would count the things that you manage to keep for a period of time so every object's in a transient state and my toothbrush is my toothbrush so long as i'm willing to put my life on the line for it basically yeah Okay, then that's I guess a whole separate thing other than other than property that we have no word <laughs> well, for yet. Okay, my 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 point is my point is that I think the idea of freedom when we think of it in the way that we just talked about where where it's about your access to the things that you need for survival being gatekept behind a pers- another person's agency. I think that this is really closely related to the idea of property where property is basically things that just just a thing being gatekept, your access to a thing being gatekept behind another person's agency. You, you see what I mean? And so I think you could make the argument... So anarchism isn't freedom either. No, anarchism is freedom because there's no property. If, 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 I'm, if I'm incredibly free under anarchism because I have no property because everything's everyone's property, then I am technically free yeah well because because the means for your survival is being gatekept by other people's other people's violence or the threat of other people's violence. Well, if if the thing that's gatekeeping it is the threat of violence, then yes, then yeah, I would consider that's, that to be that's a state. What, that's what would happen in a state because someone's gonna want to brush their teeth with my goddamn <laughs> toothbrush. I don't like that shit. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Here, here's my my point is my point is this. Okay, is that property and freedom for Rothbard are considered your right to property is what gives you freedom. Whereas I think that when we think about freedom and property in the way that we've just kind of outlined, where where freedom is not having your means of survival gatekept behind another person's agency, and property is having things that someone may or may not need for survival gatekept behind another person's agency, um, then, these, then, 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 then for me, these things are in direct conflict. And I think that that, once again, is kind of part of what makes the libertarian ideology incoherent. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And so, and so, like, a thing that really bothers me when I read when I read this kind of stuff is that it becomes really clear that it isn't about freedom at all, because it's it's it it's about property, and the word freedom is just kind of there to make it look nice. And the way that you can tell that this is the case is when it comes down to it. Oh, here, let me let me read a quote. Let me read a quote that that I think will will uh, demonstrate what I mean. Quote: In one sense, the conservative label for Nock and Mencken was and had been correct, 
as it is for all individualists. In the sense that the individualist believes in human differences, and therefore in inequalities, these are, to be sure, natural inequalities, which, in the Jeffersonian sense, would arise out of a free society as natural aristocracies. And these contrast sharply with the artificial inequalities that statist policies of caste and special privilege impose on society. But the individualist must always be anti-egalitarian. Mencken had always been a frank and joyous elitist in this sense, and at least as strongly opposed to democratic egalitarian government as to all other forms of government. But Mencken emphasized that, as in the free market, an aristocracy must constantly justify its existence. In other words, there must be no artificial conversion of its present strength into perpetual rights, unquote. So what I'm getting there is that, is that when we hear that someone talks about freedom, it's freedom for who should be the should be the follow-up. Because if freedom is not having your means of survival behind another person's agency, then there are people in our society who, generally speaking, have that freedom. And they are given that freedom by ideological predilections, like what Rothbard kind of puts forward in this book. But not most people. Most people have their means of survival gatekept in some way, not by nature, but by another human's decisions. And really, when it comes down to it, it's about the idea that the market is the system that produces the best privileged superiors, the best people to have power over others and take away their freedom and only have freedom themselves. And so it's still fundamentally authoritarian because you know in a monarchy the king is very free you know in rome the emperor was very free he could do he could do more than either of us could do uh for sure and we supposedly live in the free world now so i guess my point is that i don't i don't think that freedom is a really good thing to judge an ideology by because it's always more nuance than that it's always a matter of freedom for who and freedom for who to do what yeah that that explanation at the end that like footnote at the end freedom for who and freedom for who to do what is is very important because i feel like if you said can't you can't judge a political philosophy <laughs> by its freedom and we have a podcast that has done um a couple readings on communist ideologies uh people would have a field yeah to, yeah you know and it's but i i I guess I technically agree with you, but it has to be like considered and a portion of it, but it can't be like the overarching um, reason yeah. why you stick to a political philosophy is your personal freedom. That's, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And I, and, and I mean, yeah, the, the, the sleight of hand that goes into, that goes into this kind of rhetoric is that, is that they are replacing the, the average person, the general population with the business owner, more often than not. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's always about the freedom to start a business, the freedom to conduct business in the way that you want to. But it's not, but it's never the freedom to have good benefits and not be bankrupted by the fact that you have a health emergency or something like that. I'm gonna be real with you, man. This book was a slog. I fucking hated this book. I mean, like, I, I could have gotten more specific about things that I want to talk Oh my god, what a waste of time that would have been. I hope that some of the things we talked about 
are useful <laughs> to our listeners. Um, is this the first work of theory we've talked about where we read the theory so they don't have to because no one wants to? God, it's such a it was it was really it was really bad. I no no satirical Ayn Rand episodes. No, I don't think I don't think we're gonna do any even, Ayn Rand even, even for the meme. I can't. Should I plug our shit? Yeah, you can plug our shit. <laughs> yeah. You want me to plug your shit, Mark? Okay. Do it, I can please. Do if you want to tell us how much you also hate Rothsbard, you can do so on Reddit at r slash WeReadTheoryPod. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter, also at WeReadTheoryPod. And I will respond to you as promptly as humanly possible. Or you can just listen to this and all of our other episodes on our YouTube We Read Theory. Uh, once I get around to uploading all the other ones. A little behind. That's, That's okay. okay. Maybe they'll be up by the time Do this releases, honestly. Do we have more pluggables? Do we have more pluggables? We might. Um, you know... Oh, our parlor account. <laughs> I forgot. We have some... Well, we, we do have some <laughs> things in the works, but they're the exact time... Uh, you know some some potential collaborations with other with other uh, leftist creators, oh, which God, are, yeah. which we're very excited about. Uh, kind of reaching out and getting more involved in the community, but none of the plans are finalized yet. Nothing is uh, like timing or dates is is uh, finalized yet. So uh, just keep an eye on the Twitter and and on the timeline and 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 um i'll probably make a post on the sub as well uh to let you guys all know what we're gonna be on and when yeah so i think what you should take from this is that you if you are streaming on twitch and you need two extra dudes for among us hit the dms go for it all right thank you all for listening and if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I love you guys.